All right, so we are traveling along with uh, Jacob and Joseph. Uh, if you remember last week, we ended chapter 45 with this fantastic news uh, that Joseph was still alive and well. And so Jacob is going out to meet Joseph. And um, because our text is a little longer today, uh, two chapters, we are just going to read a selected uh, verses, which I'll read for us and then we'll dive in. Okay, so let's stand together for the reading of, of God's Word and do your best uh, to follow along with me. Okay, we're going to start in chapter 46, uh, verses 1 to 7. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here am I, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and their possessions, and they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. And then let's go down to verse 28. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When the Pharaoh calls you in to ask you, What is your occupation? You should answer, Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. For all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. And let's go to chapter 47, starting in verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult. And they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best parts of the land, the district of Ramses. As Pharaoh directed, Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of his children. And then finally, let's skip down to verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. 
When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you said. Say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may take a seat. All right, so like we said, in chapter 45 last week, uh, Joseph was alive, right? Joseph was alive, and Jacob just figured out this news. At first, it seemed too good to be true. Jacob had lived a short and difficult life, he says. Plagued by his own sin, his own deception, his own trickery that he did time and time again. And his family followed suit, and so they did, in one respect, had a very hard and difficult life. So when he would stand before Pharaoh in chapter 47, he says, My years are few, and my life was difficult. For years he was convinced that his son Joseph was dead, had been mauled by a bear or something of the like. But the news here is that he is alive. Joseph's uh, uh, brothers went home and told Jacob he is alive. At first, he couldn't receive the news. He was numb. He was numb and hardened as an old man. He said, it's too good to be true. I can't believe this news. And yet, as they shared the details with him, God allowed that faith to rise yet again. And he believed the news for himself. And so he says he wants to go to Egypt one last time and to see his son before he is to die. That's his dying wish in a way. And as we walk through these two chapters, I want us to see that there is a bigger story and a smaller story here wrapped up in that bigger story. The bigger story is that God provides for his people through his chosen provider, Joseph. Okay, so there is a a famine in the land. God provides in this time of famine, uncertainty, and death. And it's through this provision that God fulfills his promise yet again in another way to Joseph and his family. Okay, and the smaller story that's happening here inside of this bigger story is this sweet reunion between father and son. The father thought the son was dead, and yet he is not, and he is alive and well. And now these two are brought together, and now God shows this particular grace to this dysfunctional, misfit family. Okay? And so those are the two stories, the bigger one and the smaller one, all wrapped up together. And so let's look here at the opening verses of chapter 46. Jacob, what he does here is he packs everything up, He heads south, uh, right? So Canaan's up in the north. Now he heads south to Egypt. And he knows that this is no temporary move. He is packing up all of his belongings. He knows that this is where he will die. He's there to start a new life. But surely Jacob must be wondering, why Egypt? Right? Jacob has been following along all along with the promises of God. He's supposed to be in the promised land. So why is God calling him to Egypt? What about the promises that God made to him and his family all along? Surely those questions are going on inside of his head. 
And yet God gives him this beautiful assurance in verses 2 through 4, which we just read. He gives him a very sweet promise. Now, God didn't owe him this promise. God could have just said, listen, go down south to Egypt, and that's what I want you to do. And yet, he gives him this promise where he identifies himself as the God of your father. He also reassures him, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. That's where I am going to provide for you. He also promises him, I am going to be with you. We have seen over and over again in the book of Genesis that God is with his people. And he promises him again at this crucial juncture of his life, when he surely has many questions about what lies ahead, I am going to be with you. One commentator reminds us that God's first talk to Jacob back in chapter 28 and his last talk to Jacob here in 46 are promises. Think about that for a minute. God begins in his life talking with promises, and he ends his life talking with promises. The promises of God are a wonderful gift to us as his children. It is such an undeserved favor that he has been shown in his life. God was so good to this rascal time and time again. This man was a deceiver. This man was a liar. His family was all dysfunctional because of the sin that they committed. And yet God showed his grace over and over again to Jacob and his family. Makes me think what a great God that we serve. That he would show his grace to the likes of people like you and me. When we think about this story, we need to identify, not as the hero of the story, but what we're much more like Jacob. Those deceivers, those liars, those dysfunctional families from our sin and our bad choices. And yet God shows us his grace time and time again. The God of undeserved favor is the hero of this story. Well, the story continues here in verses 5 through 27. Jacob, he packs up all his family and verses 5 through 27, we didn't read that, but it's just basically a list of all of the heads of households that are going down to Egypt. See, they're getting closer to becoming a nation, but they're not yet a nation. The text says they're about almost 70 people. Okay, so that's not a nation. That's just a big extended family. And yet God promised, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, we fast forward a little bit here, down to verses 28 through 34. Moses records this beautiful reunion between father and son. The time comes for Joseph. He gets his chariot ready to go out and to meet his father, who he's not seen in years. He didn't know if he was going to see him at all again. But the text says, He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Now I've never had to go through losing a child or thinking I lost a child. But I can only imagine that gut-wrenching feeling day after day that Jacob was experiencing, knowing or believing that his son was dead. But imagine the greater joy of the person that you thought was dead is now alive and well. And by God's grace, you get to experience a reunion 
with that family member. What a great grace Jacob has been shown here. Now father and son are reunited. God showed them that grace. But as they prepare to go in to move into the new home there in Egypt, Jacob, or sorry, Joseph wants to give them some insider information. He says, now when you go before Pharaoh, he's going to ask what you do for a living. Make sure you tell them that you are shepherds because the Egyptians do not like shepherds. We don't necessarily know the reason why they don't like shepherds. Commentators give kind of a few options, but they don't like them. They will leave them alone if they go and tend to the flocks. And yet here they are getting ready to meet the most powerful person in all of the land, Pharaoh. This is where we need to remember the promise that God gave to Jacob back in 46.3, that he intends to make them a great nation. But where? In the land of Egypt. God had been making this promise all along to his family, at least the core of it. If you remember back to Genesis 12, when God promises his grandfather this, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what we have here is this generational promise that went from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob and his family. It's kind of like addition 3.0 of the promises of God. It's taking a further step of fulfillment in the story of the Bible. But only up until this point, God has added to their number in small ways. Right? We've seen those sons and the list of the people that come from them, but only small ways yet here. We're told now in, in Egypt it's going to grow exponentially. And those of us who know the rest of the story of the Bible, they're going to grow from 70 to hundreds of thousands when they get ready to leave Egypt after the 10 plagues. So, Joseph's family is ready to meet with the Pharaoh. And there are a few things that are very surprising about this meeting with Pharaoh. One thing is surprising is that it's a time of famine, a time of great distress. Maybe if you want to liken it to the time of Great Depression in our own country, a time when it seems like everybody was fell on hard times, there was very little resources or food or jobs. Times were difficult. Times were hard. That's what it was like here in the country of Egypt. But this reality also makes Pharaoh's actions equally unexpected. Because what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh grants them their request. Pharaoh says, surprisingly, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brother in what? The best of the land. So he is giving them not the crappy leftovers, but he's giving them the best of the grazing lands and saying, go, take this for your family. And he also says, I'm open to hiring some of you if you can take care of my flock. Why is Pharaoh laying out the red carpet for his family? It doesn't make sense from a human perspective. But seeing God work here in this unbeliever's heart, it reminded me of Proverbs 21.1. Listen to this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Let me read it again. The king's heart is a stream of 
water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wills. God's provision here was given through this unbelieving king, this unbelieving Pharaoh. They're all God's resources, right? Everything in the earth, as we said earlier in the service, belongs to God. He can use all of it to provide for His people, and He does. Famine is not a problem for God. A lack of food or a lack of job or the right job is not a problem for God. He uses all of His resources for His purposes in His right timing. That's something that's hard for us to believe, especially when we're in the thick of it, whether it's famine or we don't have a job to provide for our needs. And yet our God is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. This story is all about God's provision for His people. And it's a good reminder for us today. But also see here how the Lord provides through Joseph. We don't have time to explore the, the economic um, kind of sanctions or reforms that he put into place. But you see that, and you can read it later in verses 13 through 26. But a few things that are worth noting. God raises up Joseph at the exact right time to help Egypt in the midst of their famine. God knew when that famine was going to come. He had planned that famine. And yet he had planned also that Jake, or sorry, Joseph was going to be there at that time to provide for his family in a time of famine. God also gives Joseph wisdom to put this plan into action. And he keeps Egypt from starving to death. Not only does he provide for his own family, the people of God, but he also provides for Egypt. Remember what the Bible says elsewhere, Matthew 5. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is called God's common grace, the grace that he shows to all people, regardless whether they believe in him or not. God provided through Joseph for this unbelieving nation of Egypt in the time of famine. One more thing here we see is that through Joseph's wise stewardship, God also provides for his people not just to survive, but to thrive. I think that's worth pointing out here. It's, it's not that he just provides enough for them to scrape by. It is in Egypt, in the midst of the famine, that God explodes this people from being few in number to great in number, from being few relatively in wealth to great in wealth. Look at verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied. See, the, the key here is that while the rest of Egypt was struggling, while the rest of Egypt was giving up their land, giving up their own freedom, becoming slaves to uh, the Pharaoh, what was happening with Israel? Israel was gaining in possession. They were acquiring land and owning land. God was carrying out his plan just as he said. I think here it's helpful to hear, as one commentator points out here, that Egypt is to Jacob and his family what the ark was to Noah, a temporary shelter from the disaster on the outside. See, the Israelites, their time in Egypt was like a greenhouse. A greenhouse provides the optimal growing conditions so that a young plant can grow quickly, and, and produce much fruit. This was what Egypt was for God's people. 
God carried out his plan and his promise. He, he did it even when the odds were stacked against him. Think about that for a minute. Humanly speaking, the odds were stacked against God in famine here and in the distress of the time. And yet, God loves to show off His glory. He loves to show off His power and His might and His provision when it seems like things are impossible. That's what God likes to do. So don't worry in the face of famine or recession or political turmoil or when you lose your job or when you don't have the job that you need. Because as we said earlier in the service, Matthew 6, God knows. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He will provide for you. He is Jehovah Jireh, just like He provided for His people in a bad time. We need to be reminded here that God provides for us. The same is true of you and me. Well, at the end of here in chapter 47, Jacob and his family are pretty much settled into their new home. And Jacob here, he doesn't die right off the bat. He continues on for another 17 years. God gives him 17 years with his son that he thought was lost. And they were spared from famine and starvation, and they grew in number. And yet Jacob here has one last dying request. Look at verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I've found favor in your sight, put your hand on my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Why do I bring that up? Why is that important to us? Because I think here that Jacob is holding on to the promise of God. Jacob is holding on to the promise of God that he was a sojourner. He was a traveler. He was a pilgrim in the land of Egypt. It wasn't his true home. He knew that because God had told him that. He said, I'm going to bring you down to Egypt, and I'm going to bring you back out of Egypt to the promised land. So he said, even if it's just my bones, I want my bones to be buried in the promised land with my fathers, with my family. And this is the act of me saying, I am believing the promises of God. I am taking hold of them and knowing that they are true for me and my family. And the same is true of you and I. That no matter how good or bad it gets in this world, that we are aliens, strangers, and pilgrims, as the New Testament points to us. That's who we are in this world. So whether it's good times like the people of God here, or whether it's bad times. We need to be reminded this is not our home. Genesis all along has shown us, reminded us of this truth, to look forward to the true promised land, as Hebrews puts it. But maybe as you hear this story about Joseph and Jacob and the Egyptian pharaoh, it maybe seems a little bit foreign to you. You look at that world and say, it's nothing like the world that I live in today. And you may be right in a superficial way, and yet in a real and significant way, it's very much the same as ours. The problem of estranged family members, the desire to be reunited with those that we're separated with, the issues of, of famine and, and distress, the issues of trying to provide for your family, all of these are still very relevant issues for us today. 
And on a more important level, through faith in Christ, we are still heirs of the same covenantal promises here through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's true that as we are on this side of the cross, that we are much further on down the road to these promises being played out, but still we're waiting, just like the patriarchs were waiting. Genesis 46 and 47 is a story of God's provision for his people. The way that God provided for Joseph and Jacob is the way that he provides for us today. But this story is also pointing us to how God provides for us in our greatest way. We have been uh, doing this all along. We kind of say, let's look at the the, uh, chapter here in Genesis and then let's move forward through redemptive history. Let's look towards how Christ fulfills this story. And that's true here. God provides through us for his, with his ultimate provider, his son. He provides for us living bread and living water that satisfy in a way that no regular water or bread could satisfy. He meets our greatest desperation, our greatest need, which we know is our sin before a holy and righteous God. Jesus provided what no one else could himself. His perfect, sinless self in our place. So here, Jesus is so much greater than our brother Joseph. And we need to remember that. So as we come to a close here, I think it's fitting for us that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper today. It's fitting because it's it's a story here in Genesis 46 and 47 of God's provision. What better picture for you and I that God provides for us in our greatest need than the Lord's Supper. As we think about the body and as we think about the blood of Christ for us. And today as we participate in this, we are nourished by faith. We are strengthened to go out to live for Him more faithfully. We are reminded of what He has done for people like you and me. If God can provide for our greatest need, What is a job? If he can provide for our sin, what is the light bill? What's the house? What's the rent? It's nothing to God. Of course God can do that. And so let's be reminded that God meets our needs. He may not meet all of our wants and our desires, but he meets our true needs when he sees fit. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that uh, you are our God and you are Jehovah Jireh. I know that we all need to be reminded that you are Jehovah Jireh because a lot of times, Lord, we look at our situation and we think it's hopeless. We look at the bills piling up. We look at uh, no job prospects or the job that we do have we don't really like or it's not providing for us and on and on and on. And yet, Lord, we need to be reminded that you love your children, that you know our need, even before we pray it to you, as Matthew 6 says. We know that worrying can't even add an hour to our lives. What's the point of worry, you say, to us? And so, God, we pray for the grace to believe these truths. We pray, thanking you, Lord, for the story of Jacob and Joseph. We thank you for the way that you provided for them. We thank you the way you provide for us. God, we pray now as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper 
that you would just ready our hearts to receive what you have for us, that you would help us to worship, Lord, as we partake of these elements. Pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen.